I was thinking this thought when I woke up this morning about the goodness of God. God is good. It's his nature. And whatever the circumstances in life, this I always know, is that he's good. He is love. Love is the very essence of his being. Unlike us, love is something that we take on and assume through relationship with Christ. And it's a process of actually becoming love. But God and Christ and the Spirit, who always have been, have known nothing else but love and have only known love between them in the Trinity as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They cannot be anything other than love and pure goodness. Goodness is not just something that they portray on a good day or at will because, mm, let's think, I think Think Glenn just needs to experience some goodness today. So, Father doesn't look at the Son and say, Hey, Son, Holy Spirit, shall we project some goodness on Glenn today? Um, he looks like he's a good candidate. He just needs that extra dose of goodness. Not exactly how it works, because Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are love, are good, and they are goodness. And so, they are always, that is always radiating out from their being throughout the universe, okay? Very, very important. And sometimes, you know, this thing of trying to totally understand God is, is honestly somewhat of a mystery, and I know we have tons of scriptures and all that, but it's hard to get our heads around it because we're dealing with an eternal being, and us being finite beings with finite minds, we just never will be able to grasp. That's why the scripture says we know in part, we see in part, etc. We just get little bits and pieces. We get glimpses of. And actually, that's what you have in the Old Testament scriptures. You have the, the prophets and all the men and women of God in the Old Testament who were getting glimpses of God. So when you read through the Old Testament scriptures, you get glimpses of God here and there. It's like, oh, wow. Wow, that was amazing. Uh, but not every historian, every event is necessarily the unfolding or the revealing of God's heart. How do we know that? Because it is in sharp contrast and contradiction to the person of Jesus Christ who actually came as an exact expression and representation of who God is. So um, we have God who is the being of all things in heaven and earth and the essence of his being is love, have I said. We have God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, they share in the glory of love, which is pure harmony and divine unity. All of humanity was created within that context. And we're all included and invited to be partakers of divine pure love and pure goodness. All of humanity is invited into. Not everyone knows they've been invited yet. Not everyone uh, who has been invited is sure that I don't know if I want to partake of this kind of unknown being, this unknown God or whatever. Okay, but all are, are invited. And so we have in Hebrews 1 concerning Jesus, he is the radiance. He doesn't say he came to give us a few glimpses. He is the radiance of his glory, the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. 
Christ is in all. He holds all things. All, by him all things consist, the scriptures tell us, okay? When he had made purification for sin, speaking of his work at the cross and through the resurrection, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Well, what's so significant is this, is that Jesus came and he assumed human nature. So here he is, 100% God, he assumes human nature. What is obvious and well understood by some of us, perhaps some of us, not so much. And that's okay because we're all in process of discovery. But in Romans chapter 5, verse 19, for just as through the disobedience of one man, the many were made sinners. Now, how many was many that were made sinners? Let's use another term that Paul used a couple of verses earlier, all. <laughs> all are the many. Every person, every person has sinned. And for the precious little babies that are being born today or some in the nursery right now, and, and they're probably in that, that, some are just in that place of pure innocence yet. But at some point, at some point, because of their vulnerability, they will sin, okay? Thus, they too will need a, a savior. So in contrast, through the obedience of one man, the many will be made righteous. We're talking about Christ Jesus. And who's the many? The same many that sin are the same many. <laughs> same exact term. Paul does it. A couple places he uses all and all. All sinned, all will be made alive. And here he uses the many. Okay. Here's something just to, to make note of, though, that Jesus <clears throat> was not sent in the sinful flesh, but in the likeness of. And we, there's a scripture of Romans. That we I think we may have went there last week uh, rather rapidly, and, and not even going to go there this week. But in Romans chapter 8, I believe it is, um, he, was, he was made in the likeness. In other words, he came in human form. But he had, he took on this mortal nature even as Adam had. But Christ was protected and preserved from corruption by sin that has plagued all other humans since the day of Adam. Okay? Christ was protected by that. Because understand, he was 100% God, so he was pure love, but he takes on human flesh. And so there's this union of pure God and, and or pure love but, but he has on human flesh, all right? But, <clears throat> and understand that Christ's nature, human nature, was never separate from his divine nature. He moved as one, 100% God, 100% man, throughout all of his earthly ministry. We do have historically, way back in the early church, where there was some understanding by one of the students of the day, that thought that there was a separate, separate thing, that Jesus kind of somehow laid aside his divinity while he was in human form. That was early on in the church world was considered to be not an accurate um, reality of it. And so the, the church fathers as a whole have, have through, for, from, from that, a couple thousand years now, have said no. He was, he was, he was 100% God, he was divine, and yet he had human flesh. In his time, though, he was in this place of perfect harmony. Now, one of the things that, that Paul talks about, the writer, Apostle Paul, in Romans 8, we have it, and he actually touches on in Romans 6, how that we, 
how, who had a corrupted human nature because of all of Adam, yet even in our redemption unto Christ have experienced the newness of life, have been born anew, and yet we can feel the struggle. We can feel the struggle between the, what the scripture calls the flesh versus the spirit. And sometimes there's a pulling. Sometimes, maybe in, in, for, for some of us in certain areas, what could be a struggle for one, another person is not remotely a struggle for you or for me, okay? But, but, but then something else can be kind of that, that weak spot, and there's that struggle, that back and forth. And so <clears throat> to be spirit-minded, to, to be, have the life of the spirit uh, uh, flowing into us, it brings about the peace of God, always it brings the peace. Instead of that warring and that pulling back and forth, there's the peace of God. And so it's something that we can actually retain. It's something of his peace that we can, we can always live on. We don't have to always live in that tension, that pulling. There's a place of freedom in Christ Jesus that we can discover and step into, okay? And, and that is a part of the whole process of discovery and, and maturation process is learning how to live in 100% peace within our own selves and, and then by the Spirit of Christ, Jesus, okay? Jesus at the start was what we will become at full maturity, okay? Jesus at the start was what we will become at full maturity. But we're along, we're in process. And I would suggest that it probably won't happen until we actually physically die and face the judgment of Christ, which isn't something you don't need to fear that, be, uh, although, although, although it should be, a, there's kind of a holy fear, okay? There should be a healthy fear. It's like, oh my goodness, I'm going to stand before the living Christ one day. But it's not where we'll be afraid to run away, okay? If you have that, that is because of shame and condemnation, which God wants to totally lift from our lives. And anytime we feel shame, and condemnation that we want to run hide, okay? But as we find the grace of God and we find the love and the life and, uh, and the healing um, uh, of his love, then we find ourselves wanting to move towards him with a sense of awe of his holiness that may cause us to fall on our faces before him. I know some of you have had those encounters with God. I would pray, actually, I pray that every one of us would have more encounters with God the where that we have this, this, this holy awe, okay, call it fear in the good sense of his glory and his presence that we find ourselves on our face before him. How many of you know that's a good place to be from time to time? Huh? We should always carry that sense of awe, but there are times in encounters. Um, sometimes in sharing a few few encounters that I've had. I've had other people ask me, said, well, you know, I've, I've never had that kind of an encounter with God, okay? What I want to say is do not in any way feel that you're less, less spiritual because of that at all. Absolutely not. And so for some of us who have had some pretty dramatic encounters, almost traumatic, <laughs> insensitive to the flesh, it's like, oh God, I want to live through this, you know? Um, kind of encounter, that doesn't mean that that person is more spiritual than the rest. Maybe it's because we're more needy. <laughs> the fact is, 
is that he wants to love us and he wants to show himself in his glory to us. I think that we always want to be hungry for, always prepared for. And it's a part of my personal history. It's a part of the history of our church here. It, it, our church was started in that, in that place where there were some just amazing encounters with God and the glory of God and things that would just, I mean, lives were radically impacted. And we, we've seen this over the years. And there seems to be kind of ebbs and flows of that within congregations or even within regions of the world. But um, this is actually is a season in which that is happening afresh and anew. I just was able to uh, hear that even this last week um, at some of our, with some of our friends in respective places of the world. Um, one is with a good friend in, in Ireland in this last six months. It's just like all of heaven just kind of like opened up this last summer and, and uh, radically has impacted so many, many people. I say, Lord, let it be here. Amen? Yeah, we always want to keep hungry for the more. James 1 and verse 13 says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil. He himself does not tempt anyone else. In regards to Christ, while living in his, his, as a human, um, <clears throat> he was pure love. He did not sin. His love was so complete and so glorious that nothing in this world could even begin to be its equal. Okay? Although the scriptures do indicate that he apparently had emotions uh, of temptation, thoughts and such, because the scripture does tell us, we have about three references that tell us, one in Corinthians, we actually have two places in Hebrews, chapter two, in Hebrews uh, four, I believe, um, or at least chapter two there, the, where he refers to, he's attempted in, in kind of like manner as we are tempted, Okay by sin or even just trials and where we, we find ourselves emotionally drawn this way and then the other way and there's that can be that sense of turmoil turmoil not necessarily to want to do evil so when he's talking about temptation here it's not just about being tempted to commit an evil act it, it, it's broader than that it goes even deeper than that it has to do with this disturbance within the turmoil within where we're having a hard time finding the peace of God and such. So Jesus experienced, obviously, to a degree, yet without sin. The reason is without sin, it was not because of sheer willpower, okay? It wasn't because somebody, his parents taught him, just say no. When you ever feel that now, just say no. No, 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 no. It was something much more than that. It was because he's 100% God. There's this pureness of love. He has a spirit without measure, and so he has this ability. And so <clears throat> those all who, who respond to the invitation of Christ and to having been made um, new again through Christ's resurrection, been born anew through his resurrection, when we respond to that, experience the salvation of the Lord, we actually can grow to that place to where less and less do we need to be going through this turmoil and such of within and tossed back and forth and feeling angry here and, and having thoughts that are contrary to, to love and honor, etc. It's a process. We're all in process. And that's where we need to encourage each other. And, uh, and that's how we can um, um, grow together. For example, though, with Jesus, when he was repeatedly false, 
falsely accused of being of the devil when he was out doing his miracles, um, because of his security and his inner stability and being anchored in pure love, he was not tempted to retaliate, okay? And sometimes when we're falsely accused or misunderstood, what's the first thing we want to do is defend ourselves, right? We want to defend ourselves. We want to make sure that the other person or persons know what the intent of our heart was. And, and, and we can get really upset about that. It can really be very disturbing. And probably most of us, if not all of us, have felt that or sensed that or experienced this uh, kind of misunderstanding or accusation. And so there, there we go. We, we, we feel that being pulled back and forth. I love the scripture, though, that talks about how perfect love casts out fear. And so I think the answer is, is not, is, let's put it this way. The answer isn't just saying, okay, I'm not going to fear. I'm not going to fear. No, the real answer is, Lord, may I just experience your divine love to a more fuller, real, powerful sense so that I can sense and know that I am safe and secure in you, see? So it's not just saying no to fear. What it is doing is saying yes to the power of Christ and his love within us, see? But we're, we get fearful over a lot of things. We have a fear of being powerless. We fear, fear of being taken advantage of. We fear lack. We fear opposition. Um, we, we, we fear evildoers and how evildoers may gain an unfair advantage. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, when the Jews looked at Christ on the cross, from a worldly point of view, all they saw Christ as was a guilty, God-cursed criminal, no different than all of the rest who had been crucified within the Roman Empire. Because of the revelation of God in Christ Jesus... Because of the revelation of God in Christ Jesus, by our personal encounters, experience, and through Scripture, we realized something else was going on at the cross. It wasn't just a guilty person hanging there. There was something else going on. We actually see love being revealed through the cross of Jesus Christ when he stoops low, brings himself among humanity to reconcile the world to himself. And so the cross wasn't a, a reaction to sin in humanity. I really believe this. I think the scriptures given, give, give us some insight into this, is that the cross was planned before the creation of the world. When God created humanity, he always wanted to bring humanity into uh, a place of absolute love union with himself, and that could only happen through Christ Jesus. It could never happen by mankind just being good enough. It could only happen through Christ, his son. And so the cross was planned to bring humanity into the fullness of life and to experience the, the unconditional, pure, undefiled love of God. So the cross is ugly, and yet it's beautiful through the eyes of faith. At the cross of Christ, God revealed himself. He revealed the truth of his being, a love that he was willing to lay down his life for the sake 
of humankind. But think about this. We are contingent creatures, and we're in process of becoming fully human and in the likeness of God. Okay? What you never want to do is to demean your only humanity, demean your humanity. Like if we fail in some area of life and say, yeah, I'm just a, just a silly human. No, you are very beautiful before God. You've been a created loved one, see? And you simply were in process of becoming fully human, becoming Christ-like, becoming God-like. And so the degrees of love in our lives is really contingent upon this continual desire to respond to the love and the life of God. God can actually even become very real to us in his love and his healing power in the midst of trials and tests and affliction. I want to focus for the next few minutes on that area. Um, There's something of a beauty of God that we can experience. I haven't gone through things that are absolutely majorly traumatic in life as and or have been afflicted in ways that so many other human beings have. One comes to mind like Corey Ten Boom, who was in the Nazi camp and such. And her testimony, her story is like of the grace of God while she's in prison there. Um, and, and she's watching all these other ladies die all around her, but she's experiencing the grace of God in the midst of starvation and in and, and human affliction and in the midst of suffering. And I've read the testimonies of so many people, as have you, and I've listened to the stories of some of you who have gone through some way more difficult stuff than, than I have, and I've, I'm recognizing that God's love is made real by his grace, even in the midst of facing trials, temptations, and afflictions. And so the question that comes to mind a lot is, what about the evil and the suffering in our world? Then we start grappling with this whole thing. If God is sovereign, and I think everybody probably in this room would say, yeah, that's, that's a given, okay, then why, he having all power, all authority, why does he allow or even maybe cause evil and suffering in the lives of humankind. It's a question that's been asked by hundreds of millions, if not billions, of people. If God is love, why is there so much heartache? And these are legitimate questions that we can't ignore. It's always interesting that there are many scholars who have many different responses, many of which I think are amazing good, but there's always little different perspectives. Um, along these things. And I don't particularly have, uh, at least I, I, I know that I don't have a right perspective on it. I just in my experience and studies and listening to a lot of great men and women uh, in this world who, who, who walked with God and such, um, I, I would just share some thoughts that, um, or at least at, at this point in my life, are, are my uh, understanding. And so... <clears throat> Often we, we've heard it said in the midst of great disasters like na- uh, national disasters, natural disasters, storms, hurricanes, earthquakes, floods, whatever. Um, well, well, God is in control. 
um, or maybe the 9-11 experience. There were some who were declaring that's God's judgment on America because we're so evil and wicked and sinful. So that's what God wanted to happen. And that was pronounced from pulpits and by many, many people. It even was uh, on tape and video and put over the airways and such. And um, that one kind of puzzles me a little bit. Um, uh, all those wonderful saints who, who died, so many firefighters who died and people in the towers who died uh, who were Christians. Um, you know, so that, that one's a little difficult for me. Um, and then another common one, well, maybe God's teaching a lesson. So a car crashes and two family members die in the car crash. And the conclusion sometimes is voiced in the opinion of some that, well, God was trying to teach their family a lesson. Yikes. And I'm thinking, is there other ways that he can maybe teach a lesson than cause this? Um, or God just decided that this tragedy would happen and take a lot of lives or even one life, um, you know, or, or many lives um, just because he needed more people in heaven. I'm, I'm really puzzled by some, but these are like really, really common responses. And so <clears throat> the question always is, and there's a certain tension in all of this, and, and we're not going to go out of here with a, some easy pat answer because um, I, I would not claim to, to have one along that line. I'll share a few thoughts on it. But um, <clears throat> why, why, why? And, um, and so we look at all the evil in the world and the tragedies that it makes many people wonder about God and question his love. And so the many people today that haven't responded to the invitation of salvation because of these kind of questions. Oh, what about this? This happened. Well, how am I supposed to respond to a God who did this, who, who committed this terrible, tragic event? He planned it and committed it. That's what one Christian told me. He planned it. And it's how what he wanted, and it's for a greater purpose, and so you just have to just kind of deal with it. But that's that's love. That's God's love. Love always knows best, so he did it. Ultimately, it's going to be for your good. Okay, that's that's a little perplexing. But I've had many people tell me um, when I hear those kind of responses, uh, I don't know what to do with that. There's a person, a uh, lady by the name of Simone Wheel, who lived from 1909 to 1943, was known uh, as a, a French philosopher as well as a mystic. And she said, I'm ceaselessly torn between the goodness of God and the affliction of humankind and the link between the two. Well, thanks. That's, that's a great quote. That didn't give us any answers today, did it? <laughs> She's torn like... I'm get I'm 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 sometimes feel that way. I think the reality is this. I think is that when sin entered the cosmos through the fall of Adam and Eve, I think this is pretty much a given, isn't it? That it brought about disorder among all creation and created beings. There's disorder. Sin has a way of doing that. Um, this, this corruption and death entered. And it's actually death entered. Um, we could say sin leads to death, which is true, but also 
death leads to sin. But anyhow, that's a topic for another day. And so you have all of this disorder that affected all of creation. It's interesting, isn't it, that early on in the scriptures we have um, uh, Adam. How many of you know how many years did Adam live? I couldn't hear that. I believe 838 years Adam lived. Methuselah lived 969, wasn't it? Yeah, something like that. I believe those are the oldest records that we have uh, of that. And ever since then, it's just been kind of dwindling. Well, why is that? Because the genetic pool of humankind became tainted. So we, we, we have more disorders. We have genetic disorders that show up with different types of defects and within organs and functions of the human body. I don't think that God doesn't make decisions for any disorder in created beings. It's a part of, the, of that ongoing consequence. And I know then we go, well, it's not fair, is it? And you're right, it doesn't feel fair. It's like because Adam and Eve, you know, thanks a lot, guys, you know. So now we have genetic disorder. I mean, I could be doing a thousand years of this wonderful life. Well, if they hadn't sinned, it, would, it wouldn't be as difficult, though, right? And a thousand years would be, could be like totally awesome. But now, for some of you, you're thinking a thousand years, I wouldn't want to live that long in the chaotic world that we're in, you know. I've heard of somebody the other day say, I don't want to even want to live till a hundred with all the chaos in our world, see. Well, we get it. But, but, but God, uh, know this. Now, let's just remember this. So, love, love knows nothing but beauty and good. That's the very nature of love. And we see that through Christ in all of his earthly teachings and his earthly ministry. So Christ is the focal point of our understanding of how God uh, works. And it, it's quite clear, for example, in John 9, I think we touched on this last week, but the Jews asked Jesus regarding the man born blind, did he or his parents sin? I'm trying to figure out the, the question of the Jews. It didn't even make sense. Like he sinned. If you're born blind, how did he didn't even have a chance to sin? But anyhow, that's what they asked. And Jesus' response was what? Neither he nor his parents sinned. This is not a result of their direct behavioral um, deeds, okay? And that's what the Jews were looking at specifically. They had something before God that wasn't right, and now this is God's kind of um, judgment. This is, the, this is the result now because he was born blind, see? We have also the genetic pool in the animal kingdom has brought about much imperfections and weaknesses. We have uh, destructive storms. We have volcanoes, earthquakes, floods, etc. Um, we have human beings ever since Adam and Eve who, when we are confused in our minds and all kinds of stuff going on in our world, we make wrong choices at times and wrong uh, decisions and uh, make uh, it, uh, poor judgment. It is so much of the cause of, of, of human tragedies, even accidents on a highway, it's just human mistakes, okay? Um, uh, th that, that doesn't happen um, that didn't happen before Adam and Eve sinned, uh, even had they had cars back then, okay? It wouldn't have happened, but, but we have it now. And then we have humans who are filled with jealousy, bitterness, and rage, and then it's this whole thing of exercising power over to control. And, um, <clears throat> and then there's the abuse of, 
of human beings emotionally, physically, that causes much destruction and actually death. Well, why does God sit by passively? Um, the question is, does he really, really care? One of the things that we see throughout Scripture again and again, even in the Old Testament, and we see it right through the life of Christ and the New Testament apostles, is at times God is like really grieved by the behavior of humankind. He's very frustrated. He's disappointed at times. And that even Paul talks about how that the Holy Spirit, he says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Okay? So that is another insight into the fact that we can grieve the heart of God we, in our disobedience, in our rebellion before God, in our, just our stupidity and such. And yet, God, because of love, he created a world where freedom exists out of love that where um, he doesn't want to override uh, the personhood of people by manipulating and controlling us. Wouldn't it be easier sometimes if he did? It actually would be. It'd be easier sometimes if he just kind of like, uh, you know, how many of us ever prayed, God, don't let me do something really stupid. <laughs> and then you do something stupid anyhow, right? It's like, well, God, I mean, why didn't you just kind of, you know, like just make my brain shift or something? So I couldn't have made that dumb decision, see? Well, why couldn't have you just taken my hand and taken it and pulled it away, you know, so I wouldn't have done this or that, see? He can. It's not a question of whether he has the power or authority to. It comes back to that very nature of God. Isn't it interesting if you look in contrast, what are the kingdoms of this world? What are they about? It's always about power and control and manipulation, right? And what is it? what does the scripture talk about? You know, it's one of the the, the, the whole uh, realities of how humankind acts ever since the fall. One wanting to have power over the other. See? And so, and inevitably, there's going to be abuses of that power unless our hearts were fully engulfed in the love of Christ, then it would be, uh, would be power under where we come to serve, to lift up. And so I think that's where, where, where God, through Christ and the cross, show us it's the power under, the power to, to gird up, to, to lift up, to sustain, but allow other people to have their um, choices. So God is sovereign. It appears through Scripture within his sovereignty. He certainly does allow bad stuff to happen, okay? There's no way around that, okay? Bad stuff happens all the time in life. Today, there are tragedies taking place this very moment while, while we're sitting here in, in our world, okay? Terrible things are happening to humans right now. And so while God isn't directing it and saying, this is what I want for you to experience, I, I don't think we have precedence for that um, in, in, in Scripture uh, to, make, to say that just categorically it's true, in all situations of life, of pain and affliction and tragedy, that God predetermined it and that it is his will and he has purpose for it to happen, okay? Um, we have too many glitches within that line of thought, and it doesn't seem to flow out well with a life that 
that Jesus lived and, and the example. You know, Jesus showed the compassion like weeping over the loss of his friend, just as we weep when we have a loss of, of loved ones and of people. Jesus is weeping over the loss of his friend Lazarus. Do you remember even the impending doom upon Jerusalem? And Jesus wept over the city of Jerusalem because he saw that the Jews had missed their day of visitation. And now they were going to experience grave consequences, okay? Happened a few years, 35 years later, the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. Uh, and it specifically as it lay, was laid out in Matthew chapter 24, it happened specifically just like that in 70 AD. And so, but Jesus cried because he, he recognized this was going to happen. But his heart was broken. Now, Jesus could have said, okay, yes, I'm 100% God, 100% man. And uh, I'm going to talk to Father about this. Now, we have decided that we will intervene here and that Jerusalem will not experience any tragedies. And, but that wasn't the way it went. In the bigger plan of God, he came to love the people and wanted to give them opportunity to respond, and they didn't. So, so in that case, it was the, the, the consequences of their own unbelief. And, and such. And so we all have experienced certain things as a result of our lack of responsiveness or maybe our willful, intentional deviation from that which would please and honor the Lord. So he's grieved. This we know about God. He's a father. He, he, he grieves over sin and the evil that destroy people in really, just like a natural, natural father, you know? Um, Jesus said there in Matthew, is it Matthew 7, he says, it's like a, like a father. If a son, if a child asks for bread, is he going to give him a stone? No, no father in the world would do that. No. And then, of course, he applied that to how much more will he give the Holy Spirit who asks, etc. But it shows the nature of a father. And so Jesus uses that. And so just like in the natural, we grieve over the suffering of, of our natural children, God grieves over the suffering of our, um, um, of our afflictions and to such. Here's another interesting scripture, too, that I like, and um, we'll just touch on it real quickly here. Uh, all of creation groans and suffers. Go to Romans chapter 8. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that creation itself also would be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now, so we have God incarnate, okay? As he sits on his throne, he looks upon all of creation, and all of creation is suffering and groaning. But here's the glory. The glory of it all is that 
um, <clears throat> while he identifies with our pain, he identifies with the suffering and affliction of this world, we always have to encourage each other with these words. It is, is that he's never forsaken us. But, but somehow it is possible to experience sufficient grace in the midst of the trial, in the midst of the affliction. I, I've, I've seen some people go through some like pretty amazingly uh, devastating things. And I'm like, wow, they're just like filled with grace. And uh, I know I said this a few months ago too. I remember myself saying it, but I've wondered at times, are they just in denial of reality of what just happened in their family? And I'm thinking maybe it'll kind of, maybe it'll click in here in a day or two or three or four or a week or two or whatever. And I kind of like noticed like, no, they never were in denial. They were in pain all along, but in the midst of pain and affliction, they're experiencing this amazing grace. And I just like, I marvel at that. It's like, and then I ask myself, am I living in that kind of a relational flow of life that if I faced a tragedy similar to this person or that other person, um, would I experience that same level of grace or something of a similar uh, experience where I could be sustained in the midst of such pain and heartache? And I think that all of us just have to trust. We don't have to strive to get there. I think that we can just have confidence in knowing that we're on this journey, we're growing, we're discovering the grace of God, in Romans 8, chapter 26, then to continue in this, in the same way the Spirit helps our weaknesses, for we don't, don't even know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. He who searches the hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Verse 28, we know that God causes all things to work together for good. Oh, I missed a word, did I? Let's look. And we know that God causes all the good things to work together for good. No, no, no. I, I read it right the first time, right? He causes all things. Everybody say all. All things to work together for good to those who love God. To those who are called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. And there is the focal point of our attention. Our lives are all about this glorious privilege of embracing Christ and being focused upon being conformed to his likeness. In that process, great fun things happen in life and we laugh and we rejoice together and we rejoice with one another. But in that process of being conformed to the likeness of Christ, and by the way, that's what this whole walk is about, okay? That was God's plan from before creation that he set his love upon us before creation and has chosen us in Christ that we would be conformed to his likeness. Our goal is not just to get saved so we can go to heaven and escape hell. That's not the goal. That better way, that is not the gospel. The gospel is Christ has laid down his life for you. He invites you to experience his love and his life and be conformed to his likeness. That's an ongoing journey. And of course, in the end, you get to spend eternity with him, of course. See, that's just kind of a, a given, okay? And so our focus 
is this. If we get focused upon the afflictions, we get focused upon the trials and what about this, what about that, and we start trying to figure this out, I think we have to be okay. Our goal in life and nowhere is to try to fit, get answers for everything. If within the thinking of the wisdom of men, um, and you have even the Greek philosophers and such, they're trying to philosophize and, and all this and try to figure God out, you know. And you get really can get goofy with that and miss Christ and being and, and, and experiencing the formation of his life within us. And so I can't always figure it out. And somehow I think there's grace just to be okay and say, I don't understand this one. I was believing God for this. I was believing God for that. And it seemed to be exactly in line with his heart, his, the scriptures, and, and what I believe to be his will, but it didn't work out that way. I don't get it. And those times are really difficult. I don't know what to say they're difficult. And we shouldn't be trying to give answers to another person in those moments. That's not even fun, you know, it, 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 to, to do this. Well, it was probably because of this or that, you know. No, 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 no. That really lacks sensitivity because the fact is if we haven't been there, each one of us will be there probably someday where we have this big question, but why this, why that? And somehow by the grace of God in those times, may we find the grace sufficient, even as Paul did when he had a messenger of Satan sent to him with the thorn in the flesh. Now there's conjecture on what the thorn in the flesh is. Some people think it was physical illness. It was his eyes or whatever. And, and, and others say, no, a thorn in the flesh was a term that was used figuratively anytime there was kind of a torment. It's actually a term that was used in the Old um, Testament. And, um, <clears throat> but, the, but the point is, it was sent of Satan. And he said, I, I prayed three times that God remove it. And, and he said, the only answer I got was, my grace is sufficient. It's like, okay, God, I don't get that one. Why wouldn't you want to just remove something from me if it was sent of Satan? Somewhere in the mix of all of that, sometimes God is at work in a way that, that we, we just can't always understand this side of heaven. I am convinced it's for myself anyhow in my heart that God does not direct evil and destruction, but God acts by a proactive influence of love, and he administers his love in his life, Okay. Now, don't mistake, be mistaken and, and, and assume something that I'm not saying is that, yeah, sometimes God is a good father, corrects us. But I don't think that he corrects us to say, I will send evil upon you to correct you. I think that we could have an adjustment and correction in the midst of affliction sent by the enemy. God could say, here's a great opportunity to grow and make some adjustments. I don't happen to be of the persuasion, though, to say, I'm going to send this evil to you, and this is going to judge you, and now this is to make you hurt so bad that maybe, maybe it will cor correct you. I don't see that as the new covenant Christ, new covenant we have in and through Christ there. So remember, though, God is always at work, and he's working even when we don't see him working. So my prayer is that God may give us grace in all seasons of our life and that we really be gracious towards one another and other other people when other another person is in the midst of affliction it's not the time to try to give all the answers that well you could have should have or all that and um, you you would be amazed sometimes 
I've asked uh, people that have lost uh, loved ones, uh, um, children and such, to death. And, and I have been surprised at the comments that these grieving parents will receive about the why this happened. And somebody thought they were being helpful and all it does is just, it just, it just, it's painful. It, it, it just even causes greater pain. Trying to give conjecture and weigh in on things, you know. You know what, what sometimes what we need to be just as God is sometimes if I, if I, if I, if I can't hear his voice in the midst of a thing, I can be know this, he's there with me. He's riding through this storm with me. He, he's not forsaken me. And sometimes we just want to do that with each other and simply say, I'm with you. I just pray grace upon your life. I'm with you. And rather than trying to come up with answers. We only know in part. We only see in part. God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for helping us. Thank you that you came to the cross. And you came to liberate us from our own sin. And you came that we might experience the grace of heaven in everyday life as we go through our challenges and trials in life. Thank you so very, very much for your amazing love. In Jesus' name.